On Your Neighbor Is, we aim to bring you the stories of everyday people and their creative pursuits and passions. We pass by so many people in our daily cycles and don't always get to know the ones who are around us. So on our podcast, we want to highlight some of these people, people that could even live on your same block, as we push our slogan, Get to Know Your Neighbors. Welcome to our podcast. This is Your Neighbor Is. My name is Gabe. My name is Brian. How are you doing, Gabe? Pretty good. Pretty good, man. How does it feel to be back in Jersey again? It's good. It's it's beautiful. You know, nice spring day outside. Magnolia is starting to bloom <laughs> uh, <laughs> around the town. You know, definitely love that first sort of foliage and uh, flowers of the spring. So really good. How are you doing? Pretty good. I can't complain. I'm loving the the imagery descriptions of spring. That's awesome. <laughs> and it kind of yeah. goes along with our, our guests in terms of imagery and visuals. So on today's episode, we have a self-proclaimed uh, designistrator, which is illustrator and designer. And her name is Shannon Levin. How you doing? Hey, everyone. Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, you know, for those listening at home, it's a very special episode. We've definitely had other people from the town on previously, but it's always very, very awesome and great to welcome another Teaneck NJ, uh, somebody who comes from Teaneck <laughs> on, on the podcast. I, sorry, I was losing the word there a little bit. Um, I guess I would say uh, Teaneck originator. There you go. Yeah. Teaneck raised me. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe, maybe you could uh, clean that one up a little bit. Yeah, sound guy Joe, please. Um, <laughs> anyway, though, uh, you know, my loss of vocabulary aside, thanks for jumping on. And yeah, I mean, going off of that Teaneck connection, I guess a way for us to kick it off would be to ask you, you know, what was it like sort of growing up in Teaneck that maybe influenced you to take up this path of becoming a design illustrator and also how would you maybe design or excuse me define and interpret that term <laughs> for everybody listening at home yeah so um like Gabe and Brian said identify as design illustrator which is a designer illustrator hybrid and I do hail from Teaneck, New Jersey, but now I live and work in St. Louis, Missouri. So I am a Midwestern girl now. But yeah, I'm really grateful to have been raised in Teaneck and, you know, spent the first 18 years of my life there. I feel like I became an artist in Teaneck. Um, so let's see, your question was, how did growing up in Teaneck kind of help me arrive at what I do today, I guess? Yeah, or if there's anything sort of from your literal mm. neighborhood that put you mm. on this path to realizing this work that you're doing currently. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I I don't think about that often. I don't think about how where I grew up has influenced the work I do today necessarily. But I do feel like I was nurtured in Teaneck as an artist, like in elementary school, middle school. 
I was kind of reinforced as like that girl who can draw by like my classmates and by my teachers. And I think that's where that identity started to form, but also that's where my ego started to form. So that was bad. And I'm on a lifelong journey to kind of deconstruct my ego as an artist. But yeah, I, I just, I remember designing the yearbook covers for my fourth grade yearbook from Hawthorne Elementary School. And then my eighth grade yearbook cover for Thomas Jefferson Middle School. And I still have those at home in New Jersey. And I like looking through those a lot. So maybe if anything, that's where I started becoming a, a design illustrator. That just occurred to me. I was really proud to do those. And I was really honored. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, maybe that's, that's where it started, I guess. But yeah, definitely just, I was just like reinforced a lot. And I think, I think about this a lot, actually, like having gone to school in like Teaneck Public Schools up until eighth grade and how molded you are by the expectations of like your teachers and your classmates. And then in your head, you're like, okay, I guess this is my thing. So I, I better do it because this is what makes me special. And then that becomes a complex and both a blessing and a curse. And so maybe we can get into that later. <laughs> I mean, that's a really, yeah, I agree. That's a really interesting point, you know, especially sort of in the lens of getting onto a track or something like mm -hmm. that, you know. On the one hand, like you said, it can be very sort of soothing in a way, knowing like, mm -hmm. hey, I've found something, like you said, that I can be special at. Right? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it definitely can feel restricting in a way, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're sort of, working between mediums, you know, obviously, you know, great with a pencil, a pen, a paintbrush. But as an artist, I feel like that can also feel very sort of narrow in terms of, okay, well, mm. am, I, am I going to just keep doing this same thing? Or am I going to sort of expand my horizons and, and mm -hmm. try new things? Yeah, I feel like growing up, you know, before I went to college, art was something that it was my thing. I enjoyed it. I loved doing it. And then studying it in college and then now kind of doing it professionally is a completely different story. And I've been mm -hmm. thinking about lately how it's just having to like, quote unquote, capitalize on your craft and also deriving your sense of self from like your output and your like perceived success is really toxic. Um, <laughs> this is getting really dark, but <laughs> I, I do think about like, pre-career and then like compared to like my kind of career life now and how stifling it is I, I sometimes wish I can go back to like when I was in middle school and I would just draw for fun and be completely unselfconscious about it and make things because it was intrinsically enjoyable and now I'm like so heady about it I'm like okay am I making something that uh, works and like is it doing its job and will people yeah. like it and like is it you know right. economical like is it expressive in the right way and it's just a completely different way of, of thinking about art so I'm trying I'm trying to unlearn some things and relearn some things about what it means to be a practicing artist designer illustrator whatever that may be right I think that's something that people don't actually really touch on a lot that like a lot of the hobbies or passions that we like get into early on in life like when you're at a younger age or when you're a kid, there's so much like freedom with what you can do with it. Yeah. And it's kind of just like you're doing it for like pure fun and joy. Mm -hmm. But then if you like choose to pursue an actual like life or career with that, there's so many like 
boundaries that come with that and like mm-hmm. unseen rules that you have to like follow to be able to you know either profit off of it or just like mm-hmm. work within like a space so that kind of a I don't know the word dichotomy between the two things is kind of it's interesting yeah but I feel like some of the most successful like creative folks that I follow and see are the ones that break those rules or yeah exceed those expectations yeah I mean that's a great point you know everybody sort of especially I would say through the lens that you mentioned earlier you know growing up and sort of positive reinforcement from classmates teachers instructors whoever sort of encouraging you setting you on this path you know especially in something like middle school high school it's very easy Mm. to sort of construct that image of you know what success means to you you know Mm -hmm. being a working artist being a working musician actor dancer Mm -hmm. whatever it is you do and once you're finally arriving at that point I can imagine that yeah there's a lot of good feelings about being able to do something and being able to be compensated for it and being able to Mm -hmm. subsist off of that you know and 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 live your life that way but at the same time I totally feel you. Yeah, it's like I can understand where you're feeling like certain boundaries now are constructed that mm-hmm. maybe are from, you know, whoever is contracting you or like you mentioned, you know, what you think is what I as an illustrator, a designer, a graphic mm-hmm. artist sh- should be doing, you know. Yeah. And that's also there's a, you know, there's a distinction I guess between like the arts um, in one regard and then like the graphic arts, I feel like you are providing a creative service to a client. And then that way, you know, depending on the relationship you have with the client, it could be really fluid and yield like really creative and fun results. Or you feel like you're just like a puppet and you're just getting paid to like bang something out that you can't really, you don't feel a lot of creative ownership over. And I'm only saying that because right, I, I have this one freelance project right now, which is run amok a bit um, because the client is difficult and yeah it's that's one thing like working to please other people or impress other people with your craft is really complex because again you get your self-worth tied up in your labor and then mm-hmm. if your self-worth is tied up in that and then if someone's you know not happy or disappointed or um, not feeling your work then you take that as a personal front and um, that's something that I think a lot of other creatives that I know are are also working to dismantle is like, there's a difference between like your labor and your self-worth. And we need to keep making those distinctions. Like you don't have to be your art all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think creatives definitely struggle with that as a whole, where Mm -hmm. even if they love what they're creating, but they're not necessarily getting the the reaction from like general population that they were Mm -hmm. looking for, that can be like a very, almost like, upsetting depressing thing for an artist yeah it's like you're looking for validation in other people instead of just like you know being happy with doing what you love and making the work Mm -hmm. that you like to make but I guess you know one dimension you still have to consider for a lot of creatives is that you know you're making work for other people like you you want to contribute and you want people to benefit from it in whatever way so I don't know if like there's that saying, if a tree falls in the forest, but no one's there to hear it, like, does it make a sound? Like, can you ask the same question about art? Like, if you're making art that no one's going to see, what is that? Is that just like self-care or like, yeah. um, 
is that just meditation or like journaling or is it like yeah there's a difference between art you make for yourself and art you make for others um and that still gets uh kind of muddied sometimes totally yeah i mean i think that's like you said a really great point you know in terms of sort of reconciling the role of a professional artist you know or Mm -hmm. or a practicing artist you know it's like Mm -hmm. Somebody like yourself, you know, who has a very, at least from my, what I can tell, you know, very distinct style, very distinct voice, you know, very true to yourself, you know, using that in the context of a commission, you know, or something else like that. Mm-hmm. I can totally imagine how you might be feeling when you submit something that you're really proud of and somebody's like, oh, actually, let's, you know, tweak this, tweak that, and tweak mm-hmm. that. And it's not just sort of a, ego thing or anything Mm -hmm. like that it can be like okay well you know are they really wanting you know my voice here Mm -hmm. or are they just wanting somebody who can get the job done yeah and like for my my day job is working at a marketing agency oh my god same (laughs) but the designers you know on our team are very dynamic and super cool people great you know i know what they do quote unquote, personally, you know, at least outside of the corporate space. And in my role, sort of like relaying all of the, oh, actually, let's tweak this, tweak that, tweak that, tweak Mm -hmm. that, you know, I can definitely see how they would be feeling what you're saying, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, if this is my my thing, my thing that makes me special, you know, to go off of what you were saying earlier, it's like, okay, am I, am I really realizing that? Or am I just being like a vessel for, you know, what they Mm -hmm. need to do? Yeah, I, um, so I also have a day job working as a designer at a marketing agency. And I consider that to be strictly just the way I subsist. Like, I do that from nine to five, and then I do everything else. And so like at work, I take myself out of it. And I just like, you know, I, I have at least the skills and enough knowledge to be able to do my job well enough, but I really don't connect with the work that I'm making like at, at my job, which is why I do things outside of work. But obviously, I guess the goal one day is for those things to kind of converge. And the thing that you do primarily is the thing that kind of gives you energy and that right. you feel like you're still contributing. Completely. Yeah. And it's like, that's definitely one of those things that's kind of easier said than done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of times people just want to, you know, shut off whatever, have some downtime. But it's like, you know, reconciling like, oh, you know, I'm doing this to get paid, but Mm -hmm. I've also got the vision, you know, or I've also got this sort of perception of what I want to be doing. You know, a lot of times I feel like it can be hard to balance that. And something I think we've talked about a lot with previous guests on the show has been, am I setting a goal for myself? that's realistic Mm. and it's something to work towards and something to motivate me to move forward or am I just holding something in my head like I need to be this or I need to achieve this by x date oh yeah that's you can't do that exactly yeah Yeah. and and I can definitely see how you know that can crop up very easily you know especially when kind of trying to flip the switch from okay I've clocked out now I'm flipping the switch back Mm -hmm. onto my you know the artist I I want to be. Yeah. And it's, it is a lot to juggle and a lot to balance. Like I have this nine to five job and then I um, teach part-time and then I do my freelance and like personal design and illustration practice. And then I also 
co-organize a public art project with my friends. So all of that happens outside of work time. Going off of what you said, I think that's actually a great segue, you know, talking about the public art project, PSA, St. Louis. I guess, could you go into that can, a little bit and, and talk yeah, about what can, you're doing there? Yeah, so um, I'll give the uh, elevator pitch. So PSA is a public art site located in, in St. Louis, but it's now become more of a public art project that's not site-specific. But at its core, me and my friend Marina, we co-organized the project where we work with St. Louis-based artists, writers, and poets to create text installations, rotating text installations here in the city. So me and Marina, about two years ago, we applied for a local arts grant here in St. Louis, and we got the grant and came up with this project, and it's been going strong for like two years now. And we've collaborated with a lot of really amazing writers and poets and artists here in the city. Yeah, I mean, amazing stuff on the feed. And I guess, you know, a question I want to ask was, mm -hmm. it seems like predominantly what you're doing in terms of commissions and other sort of posts online are maybe more, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but more like sort of digital art. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, stop me if I'm saying anything wrong, you know, <laughs> using, okay. yeah, digital mediums, whatever, things like that. But PSA obviously is very, very much physical, physical. Yeah. very much installation, like you said, mm -hmm. you know, and I wondered, like, Honestly, when, when Gabe and I were first looking at the feed, some of those installations look like it was just photoshopped on because yeah. it's so clean, you know, and looks like the fonts you're using, quote unquote, you know, for the pieces. And mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, what was it like sort of stepping into that? OK, we're doing physical, we're doing installation. Yeah. And, you know, were there any sort of challenges? And, you know, what was it like maybe, yeah. you know, transitioning so to that? Like I said, I co-organize this project with one of my best friends here named Marina Peng, and she is an artist and a studio artist. So she does a lot. She works with a lot of sculpture, installations, and performance-based work. So when we kind of joined forces, we both knew we wanted to make a public art project that is sustainable and that allows us to kind of create a platform for other St. Louis voices. And then both me and Marina have these complementary skill sets, whereas since Marina's really excellent at fabrication and working kind of with physical materials, I'm on the kind of the design side and some of the, the design consultant. And then both of us are working with our collaborators to support them and kind of curate the project. So if you look at some of our past installations, they are, like I said, text-based and all of our letters are laser cut. So that's why they look so nice and clean. We would never be able to do that by hand. And then we hang them on a wire marquee that we built. Um, it's an infrastructure uh, on the side of a building. And we hang the letters every time and to create these poems, like these public-facing poems, basically. That's awesome. And what was it like sort of figuring out how to get them laser cut and also like how to what's the relationship like in terms of the buildings you know is there mm -hmm. a certain building i mean obviously i recognize sort of the same yeah. wall face but you know what's so that like when we started the project we thought it would just be this at this permanent site or i guess temporary so we have a a friend um, in st louis named colin garrity he's a woodworker and so he owns 
a studio and he let us use his wall. He's a very generous guy and he's like, hell yeah, like use my wall. So our kind of home base for PSA is on this building in South City, St. Louis. And so far we've put up six text installations on the side of this building. Um, And that was our original plan. But then kind of as the project evolved, we were offered um, a couple other opportunities to bring PSA to other kind of public facing sites. So we've done a billboard in St. Louis and we currently are part of an exhibition at the Contemporary Art Museum in St. Louis. They invited us to basically install a satellite site on the exterior of their museum. So we are doing three installations as part of an exhibition called Stories of Resistance. So our first one is up right now. So that's been really exciting. And actually, we're recording a podcast next Wednesday as part of their exhibition. They are doing a podcast called Radio Resistance. So yeah, PSA has a few different forms right now. And at this point, me and Marina are thinking about how the project can continue to evolve, which is very much contingent on whether we can get more funding. Um, So we're kind of in the process of applying for grants and thinking about how we want this project to evolve, because we know we do want to continue offering up this platform to more St. Louis voices. Yeah, that's awesome to be able to, you know, exhibit on a billboard or even like in a museum, like you were saying, that's pretty amazing for something that you guys, you know, just came up with and decided Mm -hmm. to put on the side of like a friend's building to be able to Mm -hmm. take it to these new places and keep seeing it grow is awesome. Yeah, we, that's kind of the cool part about, you know, running a project with your friend, like a long-term project is that you have like, you start off with a set of constraints that you work within, but then you don't really know how it will change over time. I mean, you just have to be open to that and open to new ideas. And I really like that. I I like working in a way where I don't plan things out long term, which is funny because Marina's sometimes can be the opposite. And that's another way we complement each other. She's very detail oriented. I am not detail oriented (laughs) at all. She's very organized. I'm a little scattered. I'm not I'm making myself sound bad. but (laughs) (laughs) No, it's um, just a a good partnership. Yeah, it really is. And that's a whole nother learning experience of collaborating with a close friend in this way. You learn a lot along the way and you have to be constantly communicating about what we need from each other and how we can show up for one another and for the project. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it definitely mirrors myself and Gabe doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm definitely much more of the scatterbrand person, whereas... Mm -hmm. Gabe and our our all-star sound technician, Joe, you know, keep me in check. But anyway, I digress. I mean, yeah, you know, that's really amazing to hear. And that's so cool about the museum. I mean, that's a huge stamp for the project, Mm -hmm. you know, that's an institution. And I mean, that that definitely is just a very inspiring sort of example for putting something out there that's helping people, you know, providing awareness to certain things, mm-hmm. you know, shining a light on voices that need to be heard, you know, that mm-hmm. might be marginalized mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of just keeping yourself open and seeing where it goes from there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm definitely incredibly excited to see what happens with the project moving forward. And yeah, I mean, I hope everything goes well, you know, with the museum relationship, but that yeah. is a huge stamp to have it on on the wall of that building. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting when we were invited to participate. Me and Marina were talking about, you know, what does it mean to bring this work in, like, uh, associate it with an institution? Because kind of the the nature of PSA is we wanted it to be accessible, public facing, and we wanted a way to bring kind of contemporary public art outside of the, I guess, contemporary art context, or at least in St. Louis, you know, we have a a really vibrant art community, but a lot of that happens within the walls of gallery spaces and museums, Mm -hmm. which oftentimes can feel a little inaccessible to folks who aren't like plugged into the art scene. So we wanted to build a platform that is separate from, I guess, the art context. And so then when the Contemporary Art Art Museum asked us to participate, we were thinking, you know, what does that mean for the project? We knew that if we were to participate, we would want the installation to be on the exterior of the building, because again, that's public facing. So anyone who's walking by could see it. They don't necessarily need to be going to the museum in order to experience the art. Although the museum is a wonderful institution and it is free. That's the great thing about St. Louis is that a lot of our institutions and kind of like our zoo, all of our art museums, they're all free to the public, which is really great and really rare, I guess, compared to other cities in the States. So that's still something that we appreciate is that art is accessible in St. Louis in terms of like, you don't need to have to pay to access it, but there's still that like social boundary that some people feel like they can't cross or is is more difficult like oh I'm not into art so why should I go see art so we wanted to kind of bring it out of that context that's really cool and I love that you insisted on having it on the exterior of the building Mm -hmm. especially with something like that where it's like you're right you know certain people might say oh you know what am I what am I doing going to art museum whatever Mm -hmm. you know and it's like I think that's super cool to approach your sort of partnership with the institution in a way where you're like, okay, let's make sure we're not getting away from the guiding light of this whole project, you know? Mm -hmm. And if we're putting it on the exterior, then anybody who's walking by can see this, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. not sort of behind these quote unquote gated doors, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you're completely right. Cities throughout this country and all over the world, you know, benefit so much from having public art installations, Mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of times the setup of that is not really, maybe not as smooth as you would expect, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's making sure you're staying true to that from the beginning of it, I think is a really awesome thing. And, you know, it, it definitely is staying true to the whole message of, of the project. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely many more cities should adopt that sort of open, free admission, mm-hmm. uh, like you were talking about, because I think only good things are going to come out of that. Yeah, I'm really grateful to yeah live in a place where those things are so accessible to anyone. Man, before I adopted my dog, I would go to the zoo like every weekend. <laughs> I would just pop in for like, you know, 15 minutes just to see the penguins and then leave. Oh my god, I would be I would it be was, doing the same, like you know, free zoo, Are you kidding me? You know, within yeah. walking distance? Yeah, basically. I'm emailing my boss like uh train <laughs> broke down. The whole time I'm throwing some anchovies to the sea lions. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's just an awesome thing because yeah, when you remove those barriers, 
it gives everyone the opportunity of, hey, yeah, why yeah. don't I just pop in here? Yeah. Right. Something I want to ask you, though, going back to maybe more of the digital side of your work or mm -hmm. however you would define it. I feel like you have such a defined, clear, awesome style in terms of figures in your art, colors, textures. And I was wondering, how did that, you know, do you think of yourself as having one sort of style that you always sort of take from? Or is it just kind of like, I gravitate towards certain things and they end mm -hmm. up in my work? Yeah, that's a good question. Because uh, right now I'm teaching an illustration class at Washington University, which is uh, mostly have juniors and seniors in my class. And they're so hung up on this idea of style and the word style. And I've honestly made that a banned word in the class because I feel like getting hung up on quote unquote style deters you from being able to explore and grow. I will say like, I think I don't know if I have a consistent quote unquote style, but I think what you've said in your question is that, yeah, I do gravitate towards like certain characteristics, certain subject matter, and I'm always evolving how that kind of visually manifests. So I don't limit myself to making work in the same way every time. It's just sometimes how it goes, but it's an ever-changing process. But it's hard as a, you know, a young, like a young creative, a young illustrator, you see, you look up to artists that you love so much and you see that they have such consistent body of work and you think, oh, like, when am I going to have a, a body of work that's so like strong and recognizable? And that's something that you have to develop over time. It does, it shouldn't happen overnight. So I'm on the constant quest of kind of, like I said, challenging and evolving my, I don't want to say style, visual language is a term that we like to mm -hmm. use. So in the same way that we use, you know, when communicating with people, we use different tones of voice, we code switch, we style switch. We're not consistent in the way that we communicate, depending on what the context is, depending who we're speaking to, depending how we're feeling about ourselves. So I feel like art can be the same and the graphic arts can be similar in that way, where you kind of deploy various visual languages in order to achieve what you're looking to achieve. Right. I think that's great that with your students, you've kind of banned the word style and like, you know, you allow them to basically just go into whatever they want and express themselves how they want to. Because that mm -hmm. is something where a lot of times artists feel like they do need to have their one specific image and then stick to that because mm -hmm. that's like their quote unquote brand and how they're mm -hmm. going to present themselves to the world. But I think it's great if people are able to show that I do this certain thing, but I'm also able to, you know, make things like this and express myself yeah. in that way and show that, like, people are, you know, multifaceted in their mm -hmm. art. And also for connecting it back to, like, the whole marketability dimension of it, I think it could be a benefit to be more versatile in how you make work because it can appeal to different audiences or be compatible for, like, different applications. And I know we're speaking, like, very vaguely and theoretically. It's but um, I don't know. I feel like I'm speaking really theoretically right now. <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard talking about art when you're not talking about art. I don't right. know. No, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so much of the commentary is about this certain piece or this certain series or or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think that that I agree with what Gabe just said. You know, I think that's really an awesome approach. You know, because mm -hmm. I could. I could definitely see how, you know, a young artist, somebody studying, 
in college, like your students, could feel like they have to sort of pigeonhole themselves into a certain medium or Mm -hmm. a certain, you know, base of colors or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. And something we've talked about previously with other visual artists, photographers, artists, has been honestly the influence of social media on that. And the whole sort of, quote unquote, curating the feed, whereas people might restrict themselves from doing something that is out there or trying something new because they don't want to sort of disturb the, you know, clean, unified look of their Instagram or whatever feed, you know. And I think it's awesome for you as an educator to be promoting, you know, not being locked into something like that. Yeah. not being afraid to sort of try something new, try a new color base, try a new visual language, like Mm -hmm. you said. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Instagram, because I think that's something that totally affects in both positive and negative ways, like young creative people these days. Like you said, if you're like on the Instagram page of an illustrator that you love, and they have a really consistent body of work, and you feel like, okay, I'm not there yet. It could be intimidating and you can, you, yeah, it makes you think that you have to work in a certain way. Instagram is a blessing and a curse. And I try to reiterate this to my students. It's like when you're on Instagram and you're scrolling and you're like just inundated with things that you, you love, right? But it's all taken out of context when you were seeing things just kind of in succession, just as a square. It's at least in the graphic arts, that's not how work is supposed to be consumed because we don't know what job it's trying to do. So we don't know if it's successful and we don't know how to evaluate it because it's been taken outside of its intended context and just put in a place where like, you know, we just need like dopamine hits. Like we just need to like, oh, I want to see the next cool thing. And that's something I try to practice as well. It's like if I'm on Instagram and I see something or I stop something that I like and I want to save it, you know, pause for a moment and ask yourself, okay, why do I like this? Let me break it down. Let me like learn from this moment and like learn about how you can develop your own taste in a more intentional way, rather than just saying, I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this, and then feeling like completely shitty about yourself, because you're like, oh, I'll never make work like this. But instead, you know, pausing, recognizing that, first of all, you're not viewing the work in its intended context, and then also like asking yourself, why do I like this thing? And like learning from that. So yeah, it's it's tricky, and it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, you know, being like mindful of your consumption Mm -hmm. of this social media, you know, because it's like, yeah, you know, like you said, very easy to be feeling shitty about yourself when you're sort of viewing things in a certain lens, you know, especially Mm -hmm. as somebody who is interested in creative things. It's like you could be watching all of this stuff and be thinking, oh, why am I not doing that? Oh, I should be doing this or "I, I should be doing something like this. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it's like, this isn't something you would be doing, you know, regardless of this. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of warping your perception of, mm-hmm. you know, your path or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's definitely something that can certainly, you know, open doors, make connections. Yeah, absolutely. Things like that. But at the same time, I think that's really important, you know, being mindful of what you're Yeah consuming and also like you said being mindful of your reactions like okay Mm -hmm. what's my initial reaction you know let's unpack it why Mm -hmm. am I thinking that is that really how I feel or is that how I think I should feel yeah and also just in developing you know as as an artist developing your own like creative voice and style 
it's good to learn from other artists and say like, okay, what are they like? Why am I drawn to this piece? Is it because of the content? Is it because of the way it was made? Is it because of its expressive qualities? Like, is it because of their color palette? And so, you know, once you start like deconstructing that, it becomes more valuable to you as an artist. Like, what what can I adopt for what I'm seeing? How can I adapt it for myself? And that's not to say that you're stealing, but also no art is original. You know, when we have to accept that, you know, we're, I don't know, it's a sticky idea the whole like proprietary nature of art and like visual culture. It's like, we're always feeding off of each other and from our surroundings and from our communities. So it's hard to be able to like claim something as yours. Right. I think going off of that, just looking at your work, like there are, like you said, I know you said don't have a specific style in your mind, but you do, you know, have some consistent themes at times. Mm -hmm. Like I see like kind of like statement pieces, stuff about like, political bodies. aspects or social oh, issues yeah. bodies uh, yeah the thing i noticed about the bodies is you have like pretty um exaggerated limbs sometimes like big mm. long arms and long legs, legs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. i was gonna ask like what do you what do you consider your inspiration for the the work that you make like what inspires you to make these pieces mm. yeah i think like the the figure and like the body is a big kind of element that runs through my work I really like representing people and and figures and characters and like body diversity and inclusivity and body positivity is big. I think that's a way that I've like coped with my own relationship with my body is through drawing other bodies. And I think it's a, a really healthy practice. So that's something that always is just more fun for me is when I get to draw something that's like figural. And then on the other side, I really love drawing letters and words and typography which is completely different. That's not like representational. It's all, it's a completely different way of drawing. So I feel like sometimes I'm in the mood to draw letters and sometimes I'm in the mood to draw like things. It really depends. Do you have any sort of things you'd like to try that maybe you haven't dipped your pen, mm, quote unquote, yeah. or your stylus into yet? Yeah, I um, I always say this and I've been saying this for a while, but I would really love to kind of develop animation skills. My animation skills are pretty rudimentary right now. And I love animation and like the potential it has to be just like so engrossing and so evocative and so expressive. And that's just something that you need to like conquer the technical side of and before you can really start exercising that skill. So that's something that I'm trying to work on is just kind of learning some software to be able to make things move. That's my next kind of plan. Yeah, I think looking at a lot of these, like the typography you're talking about, or even the mm-hmm. the bodies and the figures, if they were turned into like animations, I could see yeah. it clearly how cool that would be. And just like the potential for storytelling is really expanded when you can, I think when you can add motion into your work. Right. Like I would love to do, you know, music video one day, like an animated music video. That'd be like the dream. So yeah, maybe that's what I'll work up to. Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, to echo Gabe, you know, I feel like that would definitely translate very, very well to a music video, you know, or like a animated short or series or mm-hmm. something using some of those characters you've constructed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, yeah, you know, your your sort of color palette that you've used definitely, I think, would lend itself to something like music, you know, which mm-hmm. in itself is very evocative of different yeah. 
colors and stuff like yeah. that. And I colors mean, that would be amazing. Go hand in hand. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that if you ever end up doing that, I would love to see that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. It'll, it'll be, a, it'll take some time. <laughs> you got to learn all the things first. Totally. Yeah. Gabe, how are we feeling? You know, maybe we uh, land this plane uh, sometime. <laughs> land this plane. <laughs> yeah, just that's start... a terrible expression. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying out some new things. Uh, you know, Joe, how about you just go ahead and uh, cut me out of this whole episode? <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think. Um, I guess before we, you know, do the the wrap up segment, I guess it'd be great to see like. Do you have any current projects that you're working on that you're like excited about getting out there or anything in the future that you're looking forward to? Yeah, that's a good question. I have so many projects going on at like currently and a lot of them are like uh, design oriented. So I'm doing some identity designs for a couple like organizations and events, which is like logo design and then kind of determining how like the visual universe is going to look for this like entity. And those are fun projects, but really multifaceted and they take a long time. So I'm like looking forward for those to be kind of pushed out into the real world. And yeah, doing a couple lettering projects also for some music clients, which is always fun, like doing design for the music industry. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward for like after this kind of wave of projects is over for me to like be able to take a breather and then like, I don't know, have some some playtime. That's what I'm missing right now. I have too many things I have to do and not enough playtime. So that's what I'm looking forward to. No, that makes sense. What do you, what would you say you like enjoy the most when you're doing like personal work? I know you were saying you're really like showing different bodies and stuff. Is there, I don't know, a specific thing that you like enjoy doing with your quote unquote playtime, like you were saying? Yeah, I can. um, I'm just, I have my, some, some of my work pulled up right now to help give me some ideas, but. One of the more recent, like, personal pieces I did was I adapted, like, a Renaissance sculpture, basically, The Ecstasy of St. Teresa, and did an illustration about it, kind of reimagining it in, like, a relatable context, which is, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the sculpture, The Ecstasy of St. Teresa by Bernini. It's in Rome, but it's basically, like, it shows St. Teresa being visited by an angel who's, like, shooting her with whatever angels shoot um and she's like she's in ecstasy like and there's like gold radiating from her and like her expression is just like so pure so i reimagined i really love that sculpture and so i reimagined it in the bathroom someone on the toilet just really enjoying themselves and having the like the toilet fairy come to them and bless them with (laughs) comfort and toilet paper so that's just like stuff like that Um, yeah. Um, I love the, the Febreze, like, Cupid figures. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's sometimes a really fun exercise is taking, like, really old classical artwork that you like and then reimagining it in a current context. That's really fun because then it, like, it's in conversation with other art, but you're, like, completely bastardizing it, which is really fun. In terms of play, that's always, like, a good route to take. Right. I think that's a pretty unique approach. I don't really think I've heard too much of artists kind of like taking classic pieces and you know just reimagining them in their own style that's pretty cool i'm I'm sure you've, you've seen a lot of like renditions of like the birth of venus or the creation of adam like true true you know, yeah like michelangelo and botticelli like 
that's like creative commons now. And that's been like these, I taking these iconic imagery and just reimagining them is fun. And it's a nice way to create conversation between art history and art current. And also a way to like challenge art history because art history is really biased and screwed up, or at least the art history that we're taught. Totally. And, and especially like when drawing from religious themes or pieces, you know, it's a very cool way to kind of explore and play on the whole idea of like the sacred and the profane. Oh, I'm thinking obviously of Lil Nas X's new video, Montero. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Which is an amazing reclamation of that, of like, as a, you know, gay boy having been told that you, you know, you're going to go to hell. You're going to hell. Yeah. Yeah, religion being weaponized against you, it's like for him to come out and just like completely reclaim that, find his power is so beautiful. And then that's an insane music video and I really like it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's amazing. And you can see that it's having its intended effect, you know, from all of these congregations throughout the nation Mm -hmm. devoting time in their (laughs) whatever, in their meeting to talk about it (laughs) and, you know. I love how that came out. Not, I guess, Easter's tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah, like it. It is. I don't know yeah. if that was intentional. You know, it's a very holy time to release that music video, <laughs> which is just brilliant. I completely agree. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and those type of things should be played on, you know, and should <laughs> be toyed with, you know, because it's like, what is art if we're just leaving it yeah. completely as is, and that's Nothing's the interpretation. Yeah. yeah. Nothing should be sacred. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this has been a great conversation, you know, and and thank you for hopping on with us. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate it. And it's it's nice to talk to some Teaneck folks. Yeah, definitely. Of course. Yeah, we're keeping the neighborhood strong, even if we're in, you know, three (laughs) different locations. Right. uh, Usually. But yeah, speaking of the neighborhood, you know, something we usually close out with is, uh, is there anybody that you're working with, collaborating with? that you like to give a shout out with your, you know, appearance on this podcast doesn't have to be a literal neighbor, but mm-hmm. uh, well, somebody in I, your neighborhood, in your network. I know I've mentioned her, but I, I will give another shout out to my friend and collaborator, Marina Pang, who is my neighbor. She lives in my neighborhood here in St. Louis in a neighborhood called Tower Grove East. And she's an amazing artist. So shout out to her for just making me a better artist and person and friend. Amazing. And double points for an actual neighbor, too. Actual neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Well, like I said, thanks so much for hopping on. It's been great having you on. And yeah, i excited to see what the future holds and excited to see the evolution of all of the projects you've been talking about. Thanks. Yeah, me, me too. I, I don't know where they're going to go. So I'm just as excited as you are, I guess. <laughs> and uncertain. We'll be waiting on the release of that uh, first animated music video for sure. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's nice to know I have some accountability. <laughs> <laughs> totally. We're on wax now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has been another episode of Your Neighbor Is. Thank you, everybody at home, for listening. We'll have some new episodes coming at you soon. Hope everybody's doing well. Signing off, my name is Brian. My name is Gabe, and make sure to check out Shannon's work on Instagram. You can follow her at great underscore sneeze. Yes, sir. Check that out. And also check out PSA at PSA underscore STL. And we'll catch all of y'all later. See ya. Deuces.
Mm, deuses. <laughs>